It's been 15 months in Luke's Gospel, and Jesus has been with us the whole time. Amen? Let's read verses 36 down to verse 53 of Luke 24, and then we'll pray, and we'll get into it together. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And, they, and then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that this Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, lifting up his hands and blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continuing in the temple blessing God. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and Father, I, I, I ask that you would, by your Holy Spirit, take us from just believing to believing with joy. Father, we don't want to be those that just kind of give a nod or make a mental assent to the truth of the gospel. We want to be those who rejoice in Christ Jesus. We believe this is what your Holy Spirit wants to do. Bring us to that place. Do whatever needs to happen in us to bring us in the place where we're rejoicing in who you are, that you're our Savior, that you're our Lord, that you're alive, that you're with us. Use this time to that end. And I pray that as we come to the end of the service, we remember you together as your people, that, Lord, we will remember you with great joy. Please, Lord, meet us here, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone who agrees says... Tis the season to want more. This is when commercials go over the top, adverts go over the top. This is when we look at our budgets and think, how much can we squeeze out for Christmas? This is a time when we want more. And it's interesting because the scripture says this. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, we have this exhortation. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't it amazing to think that, that, 
the, the motivation that the Scripture gives us for not overspending, something we're all or many of us are tempted to do at Christmas, the motivation that Jesus gives us is Himself. I am with you always. When Jesus sends his disciples out, we read this especially in Matthew's gospel, the end of Matthew's gospel. When Jesus sends out his disciples, right, and he's sending them to do something radical. He says, I want you to go and preach the gospel to all creatures. He says in Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, make disciples of all nations. We'll see what he says here in Luke in just a minute. But he does this, and when he wants to motivate them to do this, he says, I am with you always. Jesus is with us. He's alive. But just like the disciples, we find that difficult to believe. We struggle to believe that as we know the Scripture calls us to believe that. We struggle to live in light of that. But we want to see today, we want to see that this reality that because Jesus is alive, we can actually know Him have a real relationship with him, and we can actually make him known to other people. And so this is what we want to do as we, as we close out uh, the God, Luke's gospel, which really is just kind of a beginning of the book of Acts. But as we close this out, we want to see these things. We want to see how the resurrected Christ is still working in us and through us as we trust him. We want to see that, that, that even when we are struggling to believe this, that Jesus is working patiently and powerfully to bring this to pass in our lives. So let's look how the disciples experience this or how we can experience this. The first thing we have to recognize about Jesus with us always is that it seems too good to be true. This is exactly what happened with the disciples. In verse 36, it says that, that when Jesus shows up to them, when he again appears to them as, as, a res, as the resurrected Christ, when he appears to them, he says to them, peace to you. This is what I want to bring, peace to you. And what do they do? Ah! Now, to be fair, if Jesus showed up in your room instantly, you'd probably jump too, right? But they're startled and they're frightened, and they are so because they think they see a ghost. And so he has to say, why are you troubled? And he has to ask them, why do doubts build up in your hearts? It's really like, like a situation here where, where, where they would sooner believe in ghosts than they would believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Sound familiar? It's amazing how many people have the most superstitious beliefs. And I'm not talking about, you know, just the odd sort of, you know, a bit sit, the silly person that lives in the neighborhood or something. I'm talking about people, I've met people with PhDs that would believe in ghosts before they believe in the resurrected Christ. And you're thinking... How can you be so smart and so dumb at the same time? How can that happen? But this is what our, our human nature is like. We don't want to believe the obvious truth that's right before our eyes. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples, listen, I'm wanting to give you peace, but all they're experiencing is panic. See, the problem was they were troubled by their own assumptions, which is why we get in, into problems. We, 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 we get into trouble ourselves. We have all these assumptions, all these oftentimes superstitions, that they get in the way of the, just the, the simple truth that Jesus is alive. And, and I love this because he doesn't re rebuke them as much as challenge them. And then what does he do in verse 39? He offers them physical evidence. Verse 39, he says, see my hands and feet. Look, it's me. Touch me. See. He 
says, the spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. You can see that it's really me. He's showing them. He's saying, go for it. He says, it's, it's really me. And it's important for us to know that when Jesus offers this physical evidence to them, that this physical evidence, this reality that he really is alive, becomes the bedrock for their, for their ministries, the foundation for their ministries, for their teaching. Listen to this. When the Apostle John, one of the guys in the room that day, when he writes his first letter, 1 John chapter 1, here's what he writes. Here's how he begins it. He says, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. That's before time. Whom we have heard and seen, we saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. He's talking about Jesus, of course. So when, 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 when John the Apostle, or we see a similar thing with Peter the Apostle, when they're doing their ministry, when they're teaching people about the resurrected Christ, they're not just going, here's a good idea that kind of gives you hope after, you know, when you're on your deathbed. Or here's a nice metaphor for improving your life. No, they said, here's the fact. The guy that we worship, we touched him. We heard him. We know this guy claimed to be the Son of God. He predicted his own death. He died the death just as he predicted. He rose again the third day, and we saw him, heard him, touched him. And what else? Ate with him. Because after Jesus does this, and after they have this interaction with him, they're still struggling to believe. Verse 41. And while they still disbelieve for joy and marvel. He says, give me something to eat. <laughs> and I have to say, I, I think Jesus here was probably being a little sarcastic with them, a little bit cheeky. This is, at least this is the way I would have done it. It would have been like, food, mouth. You see, I mean, it didn't fall out. It's just, I'm, I'm a real person here. He's being as blunt as he can be to say, can you prove, can, you, can I give you any more evidence that I'm a real person? Now, I, I want to sort of Talk about the, 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 the fact that these guys, it's saying that they're believing, but they're not believing yet enough to rejoice. And if we're honest, this is so often where we're at. Now, I want to be clear about this too, because I'm not talking about trying to hype up a faith to the point of joy. That doesn't last. That doesn't really work. But I am talking about, listen, I am talking about praying until you pray. <laughs> I am talking about preaching the gospel to yourself. I am talking about being honest when you're praying to God about where you're at, what you feel. Lord, I, I, knowing that God wants us to rejoice in what Christ has done, to rejoice in the fact that we have a living Savior, and yet we don't, saying that to our God and saying, God, would you help me with this? Because I want to find the joy that you've died to give me. I want to find the joy that there is in knowing you. Now, I want to kind of digress from this just for a second. Because this is something that I have to say brings me great joy, this digression. It's something that's really important. It's definitely connected to the resurrection, so it's not that far of a digression. But here's the thing. When we see Jesus doing this, when we see him saying, touch me, I'm real. When we see him saying, Give me something to eat. I'm going to enjoy this. And this isn't the only time he ate. There's this time. There's also the John 21 when he's having breakfast on the beach with his disciples. He's actually cooking the breakfast. Nice fry up, a bit of fish and bread. He's actually doing it. 
So, so there's something here that kind of gives us an insight to what our resurrection bodies are going to be. See, the Bible teaches that you don't die and then kind of your spirit floats into heaven and you play a harp on a cloud. That is not what the Bible describes. The Bible describes a resurrection. That we who believe in Jesus are part of the first resurrection, the resurrection to life. We have real bodies. There's an indication in the, from the book of Revelation that we enjoy real food, bacon on trees. No animals had to die in the process. I don't know how God's going to do it, but I'm sure he's going to do it. He probably has this huge smoker in heaven somehow. It's going to be a glorious thing. We're going to feast around the table with all believers of all time. And it's, here's what's interesting. You guys remember uh, in... in, in um, in the Gospels, where we have the Mount of Transfiguration, you know what I'm talking about? When Peter, James, and John go on this mountain, and Jesus transfigures, you know, he kind of goes to his glorified body, and they, they think they, they should worship uh, Jesus, and also they see Moses and Elijah at the same time. You guys remember that story? Okay. Well, here's what's interesting. They recognize Moses and Elijah. There's no way they can recognize Moses and Elijah, because there were no pictures. There definitely wasn't any statues, because the, the Jews would never have done that. But somehow they just knew who they were. I imagine, seriously, and I don't think this is far-fetched or, or too extra-biblical, but I imagine that when we're resurrected, we're going to know all believers of all, for all time. No more listening to boring John. You'll have millions of people to talk to. It's going to be a feast. It's going to be a party. It's going to be a celebration. And best of all, Jesus is going to be there. Guys, listen, the scripture says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, saying they or ours are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. Don't think spiritual body as in like there's no physicality to it, because obviously we just read that there is. For there are natural bodies and there are spiritual bodies, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. And i got to tell you, the older I get, the more excited I am about this. This is great news, man. This is something that we can have joy in. Now, these guys were still thinking, this seems too good to be true. And I mean... Can we blame them? I mean, this is a this is a huge thing. They, you know, the the, the disciples, as good good Jews, as good Israelites, they would have had a good theology of resurrection. At least they would have believed that there is a resurrection. They would know that from from the book of Daniel and other places. So they would have believed that. But to to think that Jesus is the firstborn of the resurrection, or that it's this concrete of a reality, or that this new creation is beginning with Jesus. This was mind-blowing, but also great reason to rejoice. And so though it seems too good to be true, we get to the second point uh, in verse 44 that it's important that we see it is experienced now through the power of God's Spirit. Look at verse 44. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You just kind of see those three parts, law of Moses, prophets, Psalms. The Psalms are the largest book of the section of the Old Testament that they would have called the writings. 
And, and so this is a kind of a fancy way of Jesus being really clear that all the old, what we call now the Old Testament, but in that day would have been all the scriptures point to Jesus. Same thing that we saw last week. He's doing this again. He's reiterating again. All of scriptures point to me. Now this is important. Because as we talk about the power of God's Spirit, and it's really important that we have a good relationship with God's Holy Spirit, that we learn to listen to Him, that we learn to walk by Him, that we learn to trust Him, not it, the Holy Spirit's not an it, Him, we learn to trust Him for power. We learn to trust Him for transformation. We need to learn to relate to the Holy Spirit. But listen, in relating to the Holy Spirit, He always, the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. Jesus always remains the focus. So Jesus here is, is basically saying, as he's going to introduce the Holy Spirit to them, he's saying, listen, uh, just as it was in Maris Road, that I fulfill all things. Now, Jesus prepared them for this. John's gospel is really clear about this. In John's gospel, we have, from John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, we have all this stuff that Jesus taught his disciples exclusively to prepare them for the time that they would continue his ministry on earth. And one of the things he wrote was this, or said was this. John 16, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me. You want to know if, if, if the Holy Spirit's working in you, is the focus, is your focus Jesus? You want the Holy Spirit to empower you to share with your friends, let your focus be Jesus. You want to know what, what God wants to do through you to be a blessing to the rest of God's people, let your goal be Jesus. The Holy Spirit's all over that. And so Jesus wants us to see this. He wanted his disciples to see, look, he remains the necessary focus. But also, in verses 45 to 47, Jesus is going to call his disciples to his mission. See, what Jesus began to both do and teach, he continues through his apostles. That's exactly how uh, Luke starts in the book of Acts. All that Jesus began to do and teach, he continues through, by his Holy Spirit, through his apostles, through his people. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Don't think like a supernatural, like kind of Jedi mind trick. And they now understood. It's not that. He's teaching them. This is actual instruction going on. The Holy Spirit's all over that as well. And he said to them, verse 46, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Now, in, in saying this, it's important that we see what, what he's, he's wanting to do here, okay? In fact, let me, let me bring up a couple other things that are important connected to this, right? He says, uh, thus it is written, Jesus says. He, he goes back to Scripture. In, in wanting, listen, in wanting to send them out on mission, he goes back to the Scriptures because the Scriptures would be a, a non-negotiable part of how they do mission, he says, thus it's written. But he also says uh, that uh, in verse 47, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name and his name to all nations. Right? He also says in verse 48, you are my witnesses. So I want you to put together in your mind written, proclaimed witnesses. 
Because when it comes to the, the mission of Jesus, listen, he wanted his disciples to know, he wants us to know, we have a message to share. The gospel is good news. As one author put it, because it's good, it must be demonstrated. Because it's news, it must be explained. Question, how many of you would be confident enough to give a basic definition of the gospel if I said, come up here right now and give it to you? How many of you guys would be confident enough to do that? Anybody? No one would be confident? A few? Yeah, a few? Okay, I see more. Maybe raise your hand high. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, baby. How many of you guys think, I think I could give a basic explanation of the gospel? Raise your hand high if you think you could do that. That's a good thing. Everyone who names the name of Christ should be able to do that. Maybe not up from here, I know. It can make people nervous. If you guys were here long ago when, when Adam gave his first sermon, bless him, he was so nervous. And by the time he finished his series, man, he was just like, smooth. <laughs> it's scary to, do, to, to share Jesus with people. I know it's scary, but you should at least know what the message is, shouldn't you? We should at least have our head around the message. We have a message to share. And this is what he's wanting his disciples to see. Listen, your mission is not just to do good works. It's not just to demonstrate that the kingdom of God has come. It is that. And sometimes we neglect that more than we should. But it's not just that. We need to say what God wants us to say. We need to share the message that he has for us. And so he kind of breaks it down this way. Going back to verse 47. He says that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Repentance. See, not only do we have a message to share, we have a change to experience. Repentance means change. To repent means to change. When Jesus called people to repent, it meant change. When John the Baptist called people to repent, it meant change. Not, can you spare some change? Transform, be transformed. It's not a condemning message. It's a hopeful message. If Jesus says to you, change, you know what that means? You can change. Becoming a Jesus follower means, listen, that there's a necessity of change, but also there's a provision for change. This is the good news. We can change. Now, if you're like me and you've been a Christian for a long time, you think, gosh, I think I should have changed a lot more by now. And so sometimes it can be a, a bit discouraging. But this is why we're so thankful for verses like Philippians 1.6, he who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of Christ. But make no mistake, okay, Jesus, Jesus provides for our change. He calls us to change. This is why we need to be made like Jesus so we can enjoy God forever. Left to ourselves, we wouldn't enjoy God. But being changed, we then can enjoy God, which is the, he's the greatest thing we could possibly enjoy. God couldn't give us anything better to enjoy than himself. But the problem is not him. The problem is us. We need to be changed. That's what repentance means. This is part of our mission. To help each other change. To help other people change. Repentance. But also... He says, forgiveness, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Some of your versions might not say forgiveness. They might say uh, ransom. Or, or there's other places where the word that's forgive is also translated ransom. Or it's also translated, um, uh, oh, I just lost the name. This word it just dropped out of my head. 
I hate when that happens. I should have had more coffee. Should have had more coffee. Okay, so you, a, a person uh, has cancer. They've gone through treatments. They're in remission. That's the word. I couldn't think of the word. Remission. But I like the word remission for forgiveness. You know why? Because remission is a good word picture for what actually happens when God forgives us. So remission, when a person who's struggled with cancer goes into remission, what that means is, and correct me if I'm wrong, all the doctors in the house, but I think what that means is there's no more evidence of cancer in their life. Is that correct? Now, they're not saying it's never going to come back. They know that there's always that risk, but they rejoice in the fact the medicine's worked, the prayers have worked, that's what we're believing into, and the cancer's in remission. It's not to be found. So the remission of sins means the sins are not to be found. There's another word, freedom. Forgiveness means freedom. Listen, what Jesus calls us to, the mission he sends us on, is based on this gift, listen, that we have a freedom from sin. Listen, this means two things, primarily. One, God is not holding our sins against us. We're free from the penalty of sin. Man, is that great news? Is that worth rejoicing in? Seriously, you all sin a lot. You might not know that, but you do. I know that because I do. But he doesn't hold that against us. But you know what else? Forgiveness is about freedom from sinning. It's God teaching us not to hold on to our sin. So he he says, look, I'm not going to hold that against you, but I'm going to take it from your hands. (laughs) I'm going to pull that off your hands. I'm going to call you to lay that down to follow me. That's part of forgiveness. Our mission... Jesus' mission was to provide repentance, change, forgiveness, freedom, through a message, the gospel, but also, listen, he says that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. So we have a message to share, a change to experience, a freedom to receive, and a person to represent. Represent? a person to represent. Please don't think that your responsibility is to represent Servants Church. Your responsibility is to represent the servant, Jesus. We represent him. Now this might feel like a bit of pressure, but I I want you to understand something, okay? When we are rightly relating to God through Jesus, you know what happens? What happens is we start to care more about his reputation than our own. Now, I've been honest. I'm a bad driver. And because I'm not a very good driver, I just, it's not because I'm like trying to be dangerous or I'm not a boy racer or something. But it's just, I, I, to be honest, I, sometimes I struggle to concentrate when I drive because it's, it's easy, especially when you have an automatic like I do. And so I'm not the best driver. I have to kind of, I have to pray. Lord, help me not to speed. Help me not to, you know, run anybody over. That would be bad. You know, help me to be careful. So I'm not the greatest driver. But you know, one of the things I do because of that, I don't have bumper stickers on my car that say I'm a Christian. Now people, I know people go, oh, that's that's a cop out. And John, you should learn to be a better driver. And that's all true. But I'm not so worried about you thinking bad about me as I am people thinking bad about Jesus. So I take the bumper stickers off my car. The reality is, listen, 
It's him we need to represent, which is why, listen, this is why when it comes even to our relationships with each other, there are freedom issues that we have that we need to lay down for the sake of love sometimes. Things that God says are permissible, but they're not loving to people. It's a whole other Bible study we won't get into, but I think you know where I'm coming from. The point is, this is the mission he sends on. We, we, and this is this, what, this is this, listen, this is where we get into how we act. This is where we get into how we love our neighbor. This is where we get into, listen, how we work as employees, how we treat our workers as employers. It gets into we represent Jesus before we represent our companies. Trust me, that's a higher standard. And he says, listen, do this to all nations. We have a world to reach. Again, this is not about uh, uh, meant to be a heavy burden. This is about this radical truth that there's not a single people group in the entire world that Jesus cannot save. Stubborn, humanistic British people, Jesus can save. Pagans in other countries, Jesus can save. People that we think would want nothing to do because they're so in love with their sin, they'd want nothing to do with God, Jesus can save. Go out there, he says, and tell them. You've got a message to share, a change to experience, a freedom to receive, a person to represent, and a world to reach. Listen, this is really important. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians, this is what Paul said about his ministry, 2 Corinthians 4, 5. We, for we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. You see, here Jesus is going to send on the mission and we're going to talk about that we do this, we experience him. We're talking about how do we experience the presence of God, right? This is the main sort of the main second point we're making that this that Jesus is always with us. We experience that through the power of experience, through the power of His Holy Spirit. But listen, that's as we go. One of the reasons we we one of the mistakes we can make. Okay, we are a charismatic church. I know we don't look very charismatic, but we are a charismatic church by conviction. We hope to look a bit more charismatic in the future as we learn to do this well, to be really clear. But one of the mistakes that charismatics can make, and I'm putting myself in this category, is we can want to experience the power of God, which isn't wrong. That's not the mistake. But we want to experience the power of God while ignoring the mission of God. But we experience the power of God. God, Jesus shows himself to be with us as we go on mission. Do you guys know what a word of knowledge is? Anybody ever heard that phrase? Uh, let me give you a, a basic definition. What I, oh, I see a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge is when you supernaturally know something about somebody that you couldn't know. Like you, There's no way you know something about somebody unless God gave you an insight to them. Don't worry, I'm not looking at you with, with words of knowledge right now. Everyone's getting worried. Don't get nervous. So I've been a Christian for 34 years. It's only happened about four times where I've had this. But all four times were with non-believers. All four times. Where I just was talking to somebody and I thought, I know something about this person. One of them, you guys probably know JP, who we supported for years, Gospel for Asia. 
JP and I were out doing, doing some street work, talking to people, and this guy came up who was uh, a lecturer of philosophy at UEA. And he saw what we were doing, and so he, he thought he'd kind of engage with us a bit, and so he was engaging, and, and I could see he was engaging with, with um, JP, and so I was kind of trying to talk to somebody else, and then JP kept looking at me like, help me, I can't, I can't remember where to go with this. And so I went over and started talking to him, and I listened to this guy, and God gave me this word of knowledge for this guy. I just knew something about him, and I said to him, his name was Oliver, I said to him, Oliver, boom, and I said what I knew about him. I don't want to say that because in case you ever meet Oliver from the philosophy department, I don't want him to think I'm calling him out. But I said this thing. And this man in his probably late 50s, highly educated, thought we were a bit ridiculous for wanting to share Jesus, started to cry. He knew he was exposed. And I said to him, listen, buddy, I'm not trying to expose you. God's just trying to get your attention. He really wants you to know him. I'll be honest, he didn't receive Christ that day, and as far as I know, I don't know if he ever did. I would, I would hope that he'd find us. Maybe he just did, forgot what church we are and he didn't know, and I'll, I'll find out in heaven. I don't know. But I'll tell you, it, was, it, was an un, it, was, uh, it wasn't like I felt a buzz and then this happened. I just knew. In the same way I know how much Adam loves tea, I just knew that this guy had these situations that I shared with. And it was a powerful experience. Now, here's the thing. I'm not sharing that to say, oh, look at me, I've had powerful experiences. I'm saying, I, when those things happen, you go, man, Jesus is alive. He's real. He's working. And listen, if we're not on mission, and we just want the stuff, bring it on, we want to experience the Holy Spirit, that's not the right way. And I'm definitely not saying that if you are pursuing the Lord on mission, you're automatically going to have those experiences. Four times in 34 years isn't that frequent. I'm just saying, listen, this is the thing we need to recognize. He sends them on mission, and then he says, what we see happening next, wait for power. Verse 48. Verse 48, he says, you are my witnesses of these things. What things? The things he just taught, the fact that he's suffered and resurrected, those things. He says, behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city, that's Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. So Jesus gives him the mission, but he says, I don't want you actually going out on this mission until you're clothed with power from on high. I want you to wait, he says, because you need to know you can't do this without me. Now, let me get a flyer. I hope I don't feed back right now. Liz, you're a good volunteer. I'd like to invite you to the Christmas service, Liz. I know you're already planning to come, but I just wanted to show that that's, that's not hard to do. Pretty easy to do, right? But I'll tell you what. If that's all we need to do for mission, we don't need the Holy Spirit. What we need to be is the kind of people who, when we give the invite to somebody, they go, you know what? I do want to know something more about this person and what makes them tick. Or we need to be the kind of people that wouldn't just say, come to church and everything will be fine, but that we pray for the boldness to be able to say, come to Jesus. <laughs> and everything will be fine. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to wait because you know without me you can do nothing. And then he talks about this. He uses this word. I love the, the English Standard Version, the version that I'm using. It says you'll be clothed. Some of your versions say endued. 
with power, which is kind of a cool word, but we never use it for anything else, endued. No one ever says that. But we say clothed. And literally, this is a literal translation, is clothed. And this is a good, it's a good translation because what does clothing do? Clothing covers us. Clothing warms us. Clothing identifies us. That would have been perfect if that song would have came out where I said that we're going to go out, you know, that would have been perfect. But this is what clothing does. It warms us, it covers us, it identifies us. This is what happens as the Holy Spirit works in us. He covers us or reminds us that we're covered in the blood of Jesus. He warms us. He reminds us of how, how, how strong the Father's affections are for us. The Holy Spirit leads us that direction. And he identifies us. You know what's meant to identify us as Jesus followers? Not supernatural signs and wonders. Those are, those are legit. But what's supposed to identify us is what? Our love for each other. And that kind of love, if you haven't experienced it yet, you know it then you're missing out. But if you have sought to love with that kind of love that God says is, is, is only produced by his Holy Spirit, you know you have to have the Holy Spirit to produce it. Because loving people the way Jesus loves people cannot be done without his Holy Spirit. But his Holy Spirit helps us to be identified. In the book of Acts, this is how we see it. So, so a lot of people, a lot of uh, theologians, scholars think that Luke is kind of just laying out the kind of theology of this or the outline of this and the history of it coming to pass is more what we see in the book of Acts. So in the first chapter of Acts, here's an overlap uh, account that Luke also writes. Listen to this. So when the disciples had come together, they asked the resurrected Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom uh, to Israel? They're still thinking, you know, Jesus is going to kind of uh, do all that now. And he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not denying the kingdom. He's saying it's not for you to understand when that's going to come to pass in its fullness. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you see that? He says, you're not going to understand the end times, but you will have power and you will witness of me. Jesus promised this. The Father promised this. It's by his Spirit that we experience his reality. Because listen, it's not about plugging into some kind of power socket, and then, yes, I have power now. It's not getting zapped with a bolt of lightning. It is communing with the living Christ through his Holy Spirit and him working through us to fulfill his mission. That's what it is. And this is what he's sending them out to do. Now, this seems too good to be true. But it is how we experience the, 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 the always with us Christ through the power of his spirit doing his mission. But here's the, also the good news, and we see this as a testimony. Let this be a hope for us. It leads to great joy. Look at verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany. This would be near the Mount of Olives. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. 
While he blessed them, he departed. We'll talk about the departing, his parting in a second. But he blesses them. See, joy comes through the blessings that Jesus bestows. When Jesus says, be blessed, actually, when you see blessing throughout the scripture, it's a sense of, may, may all God's best be given to you. That's the idea of a blessing in a generic sense. When Jesus is doing this, listen, he's communicating not only his desire for God's best for us, but his provision. Because Jesus is the provision for God's best for us. See, the issue is not that God doesn't want to bless us. He really wants to bless us. The problem is we want to name the blessing. God, I want health, and I want wealth, and I want a perfect marriage, and I want a perfect family, and I want a perfect church. It ain't going to happen. I want all these things. But those aren't the blessings we name. What we, what, what, the blessings that we expect, that we trust, Lord, I want forgiveness. And I want freedom from my sin. And I want change. And I want your power to be able to be your witnesses. And I want to love the people that are here in this church. Those are blessings that he wants to pour out on us. So when he's blessing them, this is not just some sort of formality. This is what he's saying, I want to give you. He's, he's reminding them that, of his desire and his, his provision for God's best. But also, listen, it, great joy happens as we recognize our position with God through Jesus. Now, follow me on this, because now we get into what's called the ascension, okay? Verse 51, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. The book of Acts says that, that, that after he had that conversation that we just read in, in, in Acts chapter 1, that, that he basically, he just go, he ascends up into heaven and they're all watching. And then as he gets to a certain height, the clouds cover him and they can't see him anymore. But they're still looking up and they're still going, what's going on? So the angels have to come and say, look down here, what are you doing? And they say to him, the same Jesus will in the same way come back. But the ascension, we, we talk about his, the crucifixion, right? We need Jesus to die for us. We talk about the resurrection. If he wasn't alive, the death means nothing, but because he's alive, we know he's with us. But we forget about how important is the ascension. Because where does he ascend to? The right hand of the Father. Some theologians call the ascension the enthronement. When he's put on his throne right next to the Father. Now, now, listen to a couple amazing verses about how important this ascension or enthronement is uh, about our, our understanding of, of who God is, understanding uh, and of, of who Jesus is and our place with God because of him. Listen to this. Romans chapter 3, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting on the, in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. And don't picture the father reluctantly going, oh, stupid people. He's just going, please, father, don't hurt them. That's not the picture. The pleading is with his wounds, not just his words, Jesus saying to the father, father, those are mine. And I'm still doing a work in them by our spirit to change them. And the father says, amen, I'm in this all the way. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit are there. And that we are, as we read here now, listen, in Ephesians chapter 2, seated with him. Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. God made us alive together with Christ. His resurrection is our resurrection. 
by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where is your position in Christ? With the Father in heaven. Where is your position with Christ? With the Father in heaven. This is your place. You don't, you don't have to kind of sneak in the door to pray. You don't have to kind of hope that he's going to kind of creep up to the throne and it, when you pray and hope that he's going to accept you. You know why? Because Christ is there. Because Christ has ascended. And because if you are in Christ, you are accepted. This is why the Bible says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why? Because Jesus is there and we're in Christ because he's ascended. This is our position. Listen, you're not going to ever have great joy. You're going to remain believing without joy unless you believe this is your position in Christ. Believe. Believe. Oh, you say, John, my, you don't know my behavior this week. I'm not sure I have that position. Oh, you, you, you don't know how bad I've been or the thoughts that have gone through my head. You know what? I know you're here. And I know that probably most of you here would either profess to know Jesus or want to know Jesus. And I know that because God brought you here and he wants you to know Jesus. And, and, and you need to know something. Listen. To receive Christ is to believe that he is who he said he is. That he's done what he said he's done. That the evidence is trustworthy. He's alive. And because that's true, when you believe in him, you are granted a position with him in heaven next to the Father. That's what you're given. This is the importance of the ascension, and this is what leads to great joy. Now, maybe you're going, okay, I do believe all blessings come through Jesus, and I do recognize my position in with God through Jesus. I do get that. I, I, I believe that stuff. I have my head around those intellectual truths, but I still don't always have joy. What happens? Verse 52. And it says, and they what? And they what? I'm sorry. What does it say? I, you're, you're, no, no, I can't hear. Oh, can you be a little louder? Sorry. One, two, three. They? Thank you. They worshiped. They worshipped. They worshipped. The Greek word for worship here is uh, proskuneo. It means to turn and kiss. It's, the, it's a picture of a dog licking its master's hand. See our little rat dog, Beastie? If you come in the house and he doesn't know he's going to bark at you, he's going to be afraid. But when he sees... Me, and even more so Sarah, he goes nuts. He bounces around in circles. He wiggles, wags his whole body. And when we sit down on the couch, he sits down, he jumps on the couch, sits next to us. You know what he wants to do? Lick our hands. 
You're the master. I want to be with you. Pros canuo. Worship. One of the things that, that, um, one of the things that I know I desire for us as a fellowship is that we would cultivate an atmosphere of worship that I'll be honest, I don't think we're very good at. And I'm not talking about just emotion. Because you know we're not into emotionalism, anything like that. I'm talking about that we come together believing there's something special when we sing praises. And this really is connected to mission. It really is. Worship is connected to mission. Uh, an uh, American pastor by the name of John Piper says that um, mission exists where worship does not. So, so where, where people don't worship, there's where we need to be mission. And so we have, on most Sundays, someone coming to visit Servants Church who doesn't yet know Jesus. You might be one of those people, and we're super glad you're here. We are super glad you're here, and we hope this stuff isn't kind of totally going over your head. But, but listen, when we're talking about a God who's worthy to be trusted, obeyed, who, who, who we want to say, I want to be changed by you. I know that you can forgive me. And our singing is, it's not a very good witness, is it? Oh, John, don't be legalistic. Well, I'm not being legalistic. I didn't say you weren't saved. I'm just saying we're not really declaring the worthiness of God. Nord City wins one game, you guys go nuts. Shit, dude, it's really rare, let's be honest. It's amazing how much we celebrate things that aren't as worthy of celebration as Jesus, but God calls us to celebrate. And listen, we benefit. It's not that you know, God's a megalomaniac, like, I need your praise. We, he doesn't need our praise. We need to praise him. It's good for us to worship. It leads to joy when we worship, when we say, God, you are worthy to be trusted and praised and sought after for all that you've already done. Listen, joyful worship is both a method and a motivation for spirit-empowered mission. Next week, we're having an outreach service. The theme for this December, Christmas is for everyone. Next week, in case you didn't read the notice yet, Christmas is for skeptics. Invite your skeptics. And when they come with you, worship. Worship. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you how to position your hands or whether or not to close your eyes or if you should stand. I'm not telling you anything about that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, say, pray before you get here. Say, God, I want to worship because I know this dude's a skeptic or this woman doesn't believe anything, but I believe you. And I want to worship. I want to have real joy because you're worthy to be rejoiced in. They continued in this, in the temple. In the temple, full of Jews who crucified Jesus, full of, uh, of those on the outside who didn't believe he was the Messiah. They continued to worship. You know why? Because the new worship was a witness. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul, closed with this. The Apostle Paul uh, uh, connects mission and worship together in Romans 15. He says, Jesus also came so that the Gentiles, in this context, he's not using Gentiles just as non-Jews. It is non-Jews, but it's more than that. It's not yet believers or those who are just coming to faith, being grafted in to Israel. 
Jesus also came so that Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercy to them. This is what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing praises to your name. In another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people. Is Jesus worthy to be praised? Do we want to call people to trust him? Then let's praise him. A chance for you guys to respond. Do you know the risen Savior, Jesus? Seriously. I'm not trying to embarrass anybody here who's still investigating Christianity. But can you answer that question seriously? The first time somebody asked me, do you know Jesus? My dad had had a massive heart attack. I was going to his partner's Pentecostal church and an old lady with blue hair said, son, do you know Jesus? And I'm like, I know Jesus. He's in my fourth period class. So I'm not trying to freak anybody out like that lady freaked me out. I'm saying the Jesus we're talking about here, do you actually know him? And I'm talking to you guys too who have been at church for a long time. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? For real, because he wants to know you. He died to know you. But also, if you do know this Jesus, how might our prayers and our invitations to these Christmas services, I mean this seriously, this is not just trying to plug the Christmas services. I, guys, I hope you know, we don't just do this to do this. I, I'm not just doing, we're not just putting together Christmas services. We don't just invest gobs of time. I mean, I, yes, it's my job, so I invest gobs of time, but there's tons of volunteers who put in so much time to these services. Why? So we can say we are a good church. No, because we want people to know Jesus. So when it comes to inviting and praying for those people, how would it look different when we remember he's alive? Lord, you're alive. You can, by your Holy Spirit, bring them 